Good evening. Tonight I thought I'd offer a few reflections on uh, mudita, or sympathetic joy and forgiveness, and throw in a little bit of gratitude. So that's what I'm going to speak to. In their perfection, they are sublime and boundless and to be dwelt in, as one speaks of, dwelling in peace. Interestingly enough, less has been said or written about Mudita than any of the other three of the four characteristics. Most probably some of that is because it's a somewhat clumsy translation. But I have a suspicion in terms of uh, what people have chosen to translate and focus on is actually an indication of one of the more underdeveloped aspects of heart qualities in our Western culture, sympathetic joy for others. While loving kindness and compassion our objective, reaching out to all sentient beings. Mudita and equanimity are subjective or personal in their application. Mudita being the third of the four Brahmaviharas, cultivating gladness or joy, sometimes translated as sympathetic joy or appreciative joy, or altruistic joy. Sympathetic, pleasant or agreeable, showing approval of or favor toward an idea or action. Appreciative, feeling or showing gratitude or pleasure. Altruistic, showing a disinterested and selfless concern for others, unselfish. These four practices all work together to strengthen and support and protect each other so that together they help the heart and the mind come into a state of profound balance and grace. I'm just going to say a little a uh, repetition of some of the words that Jill said when she did her talk on the Brahma Viharas because I think it's worth repeating and also helps to support the understanding that each one of the Brahma Viharas interacts and engages with all of the others so that they're not discrete practices or qualities of the heart but actually flow in and out of each other. So metta sets the foundation from which the other three qualities emerge. When metta turns towards difficulty, challenge, suffering, it flowers naturally as compassion. And when metta turns towards what is going well or towards success, it flowers into mudita or joy we can get a sense that there is a relationship between compassion and joy, between loving kindness and equanimity. Joy can protect our compassion practice from falling into grief or despair. And compassion protects our mudita practice from falling into elation or ungrounded exuberance. We can see them as different flavors of love and they work together to balance each other out. In this description of the four qualities from Carolyn Jones and Paul Burroughs out of the Forest Refuge, meta-kindness is the love that connects. It is the antidote to all forms of aversion. It is not attachment. If it slides into sentimentality, karuna or compassion brings the heart back into balance. Karuna, the love that responds, 
is an antidote to cruelty. It is not pity. If it slides into sorrow, mudita, appreciative joy, brings the heart back into balance. Mudita, the love that celebrates, is an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka or equanimity brings the heart back into balance. Upeka, the love that allows, is the antidote to partiality. It is not indifference. If it slides into disconnection, metta brings the heart back into balance. We can see how all of these qualities relate to each other and come full circle. A spiraling force field of wholesome states of heart and mind. When we take a look at even the darkest difficulty, we can find some spark of joy or appreciation or gratitude. Gratitude in knowing that the difficulty itself is giving us some opportunity to strengthen our capacity to be with difficulty. A large part of the Buddha Dhamma is the awareness and understanding of the pairs of opposites in the training in order to move beyond them. The Buddha's method of mental training and development was to teach by first defining unwholesome or unskillful thoughts, words, and deeds or practices which characterize many of our human proclivities. Then, to put forward their opposite consideration of a wholesome or skillful nature as an achievement to be sought after for the eventual transformation or letting go of them both. Eventually, the good must be left behind as well as the evil. Even the raft of Dhamma is to be abandoned after crossing the flood of samsara. The trouble with so many of the unwise is the desire to abandon the raft of Dhamma before reaching the further shore. Sometimes we refer to this as bypass or before gaining competency and skill in working with clinging, aversion, and delusion before we cultivate the capacity and resources to see things as they are, just like this. The Buddha's method of expounding the negative and the positive, the passive and the dynamic aspects of behavior, in both abstract and concrete terms, is obviously to create awareness of what is to be cultivated and nurtured. This is why it is so necessary that we should see and recognize our failings and shortcomings, wrong views, and perceptions if we are to release or transform them. It is also important that we be mindful of the good that has arisen and to foster and develop it to the point of perfection. To realize our imperfections is the beginning of wisdom, the first light to shine on the darkness of our ignorance. While we are blissfully unaware of unwholesome states of mind within ourselves, such states will continue to flourish and their roots will dig deeper into our very being. Just like in our relationship with others, the unknown, non-skillful means will be repeated unconsciously and unrecognized, building up a cumulative, 
unhappy future for us under the law of cause and effect. These four desirable characteristics are the antidotes to the poisons of their opposite imperfections. And here is where the recognition of their opposites is useful. We never tire of asserting the interdependence of every aspect of the Buddha Dhamma, no matter which particular facet is being discussed. One of my teachers, Gina Sharp, who some of you may know or have heard of, always speaks of the holographic nature of the Dharma, of the capacity to enter in at any point with any of the concepts and distinctions and practices, and through effort and understanding, find freedom. We have already stated that ignorance is failure of perception. And it is true that greed and hatred do arise through the non-seeing and non-understanding of misperception of their source. So subsequently, the result is that basically, craving born of ignorance is the culprit. And that the purpose of the Buddha Dhamma is to eliminate craving. It is craving that gives rise to jealousy, envy, covetedness, avarice, and greed in all of its manifestations. Here it is that mudita, when practiced and developed, becomes a sublime and boundless state of mind to be dwelt in as a corrective characteristic for their removal. So now I'm going to sidestep into forgiveness because it's my thought and my understanding that the cultivation of the Brahma Viharas, if done on top of unmetabolized and unintegrated experiences and conditions that need forgiveness that has not been offered, it's built on shaky ground. Forgiveness to grant pardon for or remission of, to absolve, to give up all claim on account of, to cease to feel resentment against, to cancel an indebtedness or liability, to pardon an offense or an offender. when used as a verb, forgave, forgiven, forgiving. Jack Cornfield says that forgiveness is giving up all hope for a different past. He also says that traditionally, the work of the heart begins with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the necessary ground for any healing. First, we need a wise understanding of forgiveness, and then we can learn how it is practiced. This leads to understanding of how we may forgive ourselves and others. Forgiveness is a letting go of past suffering and betrayal, a release of the burden of pain and hate that we may carry. Forgiveness honors the heart's greatest dignity. Whenever we are lost, it brings us back to the foundation of love. With forgiveness, we become unwilling to attack or wish harm to another. Whenever we forgive, in a small way at home, or in great ways between nations, we free ourselves from the past. Even those in the worst situations, whether entire countries like Bosnia, Northern Ireland, South Africa, 
have had to find a path to reconciliation with its lumps and bumps and false starts included. This is true here in America or the United States as well, though we have sorely failed to achieve this balance in many situations. Sometimes this means finding the courage to forgive the unforgivable, to consciously release the heart from the clutches of another's terrible acts. It is imperative that we discover a way to move on from the past, no matter what trauma is held there. Not forgiving impedes the flowering of compassion in our practice and our lives. Even if we cannot see it in these terms, we can understand that no one but ourselves can make ourselves suffer mentally. That is in relationship to the teaching of the second arrow. The unenlightened being, bhikkhus, experiences pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. The noble disciple also experiences pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. In this case, O bhikkhus, what is the distinction between the noble disciple and the unenlightened being? When an unenlightened being, bhikkhus, encounters unpleasant feeling, he grieves, laments, wails, beats his chest and is distraught and distracted therein. He experiences two kinds of feelings, namely in the body and in the mind. It is as if an archer, having fired one arrow into a certain man, were then to fire a second arrow. That man would experience pain from both arrows. Such is the unenlightened being. He experiences two kinds of pain, bodily and mentally. Our blame is often telling us where we need to reach more deeply for the compassion that can forgive. The fear of disappointment can lead us to close our hearts, to mistrust others, and to isolate ourselves. Then life becomes full of fear and loneliness. It is not only the failures and imperfections of others that lead to grief and anger. It is our own losses as well that lead to suffering. Health turns to illness. Youth turns to age. Vigor begins to fade. We must learn to live with kindness and integrity and forgive ourselves when we appear to fail. We have so many expectations and opinions of how we should be. And when we fall short of our standards, we suffer the same shame and blame on ourselves that we project onto others. We strive to be better, strive to move beyond blame, and in the relentless pursuit of our ideals, we stop listening we stop listening to the pain that is born of these impossible demands on ourselves. We think the pain is our fault, some personal failure, some error we have made. We then, from this place, become lost in judgment and are unable to have calm, 
and the openness to forgive ourselves for being human. The illness in our body, the confusion in our minds, our most fierce opponent or enemy, the events we feel most threatened by, all of this asks for gentleness of heart, kindness, forgiveness, and compassion. We must remember that forgiveness is an ongoing process. We can make the decision to not add to the fires of hatred and bitterness when it is a part of our experience. Just by making this decision, we can add ease and progress to the development of our practice. The Buddha said, Hatred will never cease by hatred. Hatred can only cease by love. Through our practice, we can come to understand what is possible for the human heart. When our hearts and mind are full of anger and hatred towards others, we are actually the ones who are suffering. Caught in the vice of this mind state. It is not easy to access the place inside which can forgive, which can love. In some ways, to be able to forgive, to let go, calls for a type of dying. It is the willingness and ability to say, I am not that person anymore, and you are not that person anymore, and we are no longer caught in the cycle of aggression and hurt. Forgiveness allows us to recapture some part of ourselves that was left behind in bondage to a past event. Some part of the identity may also need to die in the letting go so that there can be a reclamation of the energy that has been bound up in the past. In order to be released from deeply held aversion for ourselves and others, we must practice forgiveness. Forgiveness has the power to bring forth forces of purity and love in the heart-mind and affirm the qualities of patience and compassion. When we remain mentally enslaved by our past actions or the actions of others, we cannot live life fully in the present. Practicing forgiveness creates the space for renewal and a life free from bondage to the past. In some sense, it is much more difficult to forgive than not to forgive. And forgiveness does not mean condoning a harmful action or denying injustice or suffering. We should never confuse forgiveness with being passive towards violation or abuse. We must be the one to discern with consideration whether the cost of not forgiving is worth the price we are paying by holding on or being right. The sense of psychological and spiritual well-being that comes from practicing forgiveness comes directly because this practice takes us to our edge. Sharon Salzberg. Being on the edge is challenging, wrenching, and transforming. The process of forgiveness demands courage, requires fortitude, and a commitment to our remembering where our deepest happiness lay. 
Forgiveness is a gesture of liberation in the service of liberation. Forgiveness liberates us from what has passed, from the burden of resentment and fear. Understanding our enemy may be a part of forgiveness. Longfellow wrote, and when I'm using the word enemy, I'm speaking to it in relationship to a person that harms or weakens something or somebody else, but it can also apply to systems and structures and organizations and cultural beliefs. If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should see sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all our hostility. We share with our enemies the fear of pain and isolation, the anxiety that leads to armoring and the capacity to be hurt. We share with our enemy all the confused and deluded activity that can be generated to protect ourselves from hurt, which most often and sadly results in more pain. Understanding our enemies does not excuse their unwholesomeness or unskillful actions, nor does it diminish the pain we may feel as a result of those actions. Understanding and clear comprehension reveals that as long as any heart is governed by fear and self-cherishing, a trail of hurt and pain will be left in its wake. Forgiveness is an expression of the commitment to not add to a mountain of suffering. The Buddha taught that hatred is not healed by hatred, but by love alone. He also urged us to live in joy amongst those who hate, in peace amongst those who war in equanimity amidst those who fear. This is the home called freedom. Forgiveness for ourselves and the myriad numbers of ways we can harm ourselves and others is the embodiment of compassion. Forgiveness for those who have harmed us frees us to live in the present rather than being bound to the past. Goeth said, Our friends show us what we can do. Our enemies show us what we must do. Through this understanding flows a reconciling and a reclamation for each of us which then moves us ever closer to the true freedom of the heart-mind. It is then that there is space enough and the soil rich enough that flowers joy. When the energetic qualities of metta and karuna are turned towards happiness, or the good things in life, what can arise is a happiness much greater than our own personal happiness. This appreciative or sympathetic joy, the Buddha called the mind deliverance of gladness, because the force of happiness actually liberates us. The joy that is larger than our own, seeing how all beings are seeking happiness. When happiness arises for others, we automatically feel joy at their joy, happiness at their happiness. It is the happiness of seeing the 10,000 joys in our own lives that seed this possibility. We rejoice in the good fortune of others. Mudita 
invites us to look at the non-problem rather than the problems in our lives. This can be challenging given the strong conditioning in our culture towards being focused on the problems or what is broken or what is wrong about something. This is part of our journey, assisted by our practice, to recondition the heart and incline it towards freedom. Unlike a state of mere excitement or giddiness, the quality of sympathetic joy ignites a challenge for us to examine our assumptions, our assumptions about aloneness, about loss and happiness, and illuminates another possibility. The far enemy of mudita is envy, the inability to endure the success, prosperity, or happiness of others. The experience of envy only functions to produce more and more dissatisfaction with our own condition and to make us miserable and suffer. Envy devours us. We lose the ability to be centered within our own lives and instead are perpetually out of balance as we lean into the lives of others, regretting their happiness real or imagined. Mudita can be more difficult to cultivate than metta or karuna. Envy is the offspring of the comparing mind. What feeds the comparing mind and the energy of envy is the practice of conceit or mana. I think we may be having a talk on that. Coming up, not sure. The practice of selfing or identifying or becoming and feeling that everything revolves around our self or at least should revolve around it. The logical thought behind envy is that anyone who can do better than oneself is one's enemy. The Buddha said, in a battle, the winners and the losers are both lost. Mudita, however, is the opposite of comparing and competition. In our competitive culture, we cannot see the true nature of Mudita because we are so ingrained with thinking ourselves as separate entities. We become primarily concerned with our own survival. The practice of joy often can bring up feelings of not deserving happiness, low self-esteem, imperfection. When we cannot experience joy, then how can anyone else experience it? without bringing up envy and comparison. The near enemy of mudita is exuberance, getting lost in the pleasantness of a happy experience and losing perspective of the teachings on impermanence. This too shall pass. Not only to compassion, but also to joy with others, open your heart. Your life will gain in joy by sharing the happiness of others as if it were yours. Did you never observe how in moments of happiness a person's features change and become bright with joy? Did you ever notice how joy rouses us to noble aspirations and deeds exceeding their normal capacities? 
Did not such experience fill your own heart with joyful bliss? It is in your power to increase such experience of sympathetic joy by producing happiness in others, by bringing them joy and solace. Let us teach real joy. Many have unlearned it. Life, though full of woe, holds also sources of happiness and joy unknown to most. Let us teach people to seek and to find real joy within themselves and to rejoice with the joy of others. Let us teach them to unfold their joy to ever sublime heights. Sympathetic joy means a sublime nobility of heart and intellect which knows, understands, and is ready to help. Sympathetic joy that is strength and gives strength, this is the highest joy. And what is the highest manifestation of sympathetic joy? to show to the world the path leading to the end of suffering, the path pointed out, trodden, and realized to perfection by him, the exalted one, the Buddha. Joy is natural to an open heart. We do not have unwise understanding that is disloyal to the suffering of the world to honor the happiness we have been given. Joy gladdens the heart. We can be joyful for people we love, for moments of goodness, for sunlight and trees, for breath. As the joy grows, there comes a happiness, a happiness without cause, a desire to rejoice in being alive. When we take delight in another's happiness, when we genuinely rejoice at their prosperity, success, or good fortune, we can abide in mudita. Mudita is boundless, like loving kindness. Some of the impediments to mudita are judgment, comparing, prejudice, demeaning, envy, avarice, selfishness, boredom, all these rooted in the forces of aversion and attachment. Allies of mudita or qualities that support mudita, rapture, our capacity to take active delight in things, gratitude, brings delight and blessings. The Buddha teaches about blessings that can be enjoyed by any one of us if we create the conditions for them. Metta and mudita. Mudita strengthens metta. As mudita grows, we come to understand that the happiness of others is our happiness. That's totally against the stream of these United States. So we are in the practice of engaging, uh, hopefully, a growing tide that actually will impact the systems and structures of this nation such that we can find kinship and um, alignment as we go about creating conditions where all beings can be free from suffering. Sympathetic joy allows us to open further and further with loving kindness so that we eventually really do want other people to be happy like we really do. The happiness of another, 
even an enemy's happiness is not going to take away anything from us in any way. Compassion, as Mudita, reminds of joy when we are lost in sorrow. Compassion reminds us of suffering when we are lost in denial. So Metta, Karuna, and Mudita create a powerful alliance to brighten our minds and add a richness and joy to our perception. We can more and more open to the happiness that exists. And we can see the suffering that exists as well and maintain an open heart in the face of it. As these three Brahmaviharas share their strengths with one another, the bright forces of mind support us and help us to own our own happiness. If envy or jealousy is strong, we can turn the mind to the feeling of mudita. We must understand that we have an inner remote control with an ability to change the channel. Says the master, for one who clings, motion exists. But for one who clings not, there is no motion. When no motion is, there is stillness. Where stillness is, there is no craving. Where no craving is, there is neither coming nor going. Where no coming nor going is, there is neither arising nor passing away. Where neither arising nor passing away is, there is neither this world nor a world beyond, nor a state between. This, verily, is the end of suffering. Just a few words about gratitude. Monastics begin their day with a chant of gratitude. Native American gatherings begin each ceremony with prayers of gratefulness to the earth, the sky, the water, fire, the four directions, the animal, and plant relatives. African traditions begin their gatherings with an expression of gratitude via libation to the ancestors. The aim of spiritual life is to awaken a joyful freedom, a benevolent and compassionate heart in spite of everything. Gratitude is a gracious acknowledgement of all that sustains us, a bow to our blessings, great and small. Gratitude is confidence in life itself. Gratitude gladdens the heart. As gratitude grows, it gives rise to joy. We experience the courage to rejoice in our own good fortune and in the good fortune of others. From the Book of Joy, which is a book written about a meeting between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who are actually very good friends, uh, they're saying that the obstacles to joy are fear, Stress, anxiety, frustration, anger, 
sadness and grief, despair, loneliness, envy, suffering, and adversity, fear of death. What they say supports joy. They wrap up in calling it the eight pillars of joy. Perspective, humility, humor, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. With gratitude, I remember the people, animals, plants, insects, creatures of the sky and sea, air and water, fire and earth, all whose joyful exertion blesses my life every day. With gratitude, I remember the care and labor of a thousand generations of elders and ancestors who came before me. I offer my gratitude for the safety and well-being I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the blessings of this earth I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the measure of health I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the family and friends I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the community I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the teachings and lessons I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the life I have been given. Just as a reminder, to not hold it like joy is this uh, one state of being that you can turn the light switch on and off. That actually joy is made up of numerous states moving from overflowing excitement to subtle contentment. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, If happiness is infectious and spreads from person to person, it only makes sense to practice mudita for others. In then that where there is more of a chance that you will feel more happiness yourself. The odds are six billion to one. Pretty good odds. Thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a moment. From the Boundless Heart by Christina Fellman. We can learn that a peaceful coexistence between the difficult and the lovely, between sadness and gladness, between adversity and ease is possible for us. Mindfulness, friendliness, compassion, and joy are like different but interwoven melodies that make up a single song. They are not linear, but balance and strengthen one another. When the heart becomes raw in the face of pain, we remember to make room for joy. When unworthiness or judgment overcomes us, 
we remember that our hearts can tremble in empathy for the pain of this, and we can befriend that sorrow rather than turn away. Appreciative joy invites us to widen the circle of our awareness and to be touched by the many small moments of wellness, blessing, and happiness that are part of our days. We find gladness in the midst of the gladness of another, joy in the happiness of another, appreciation for the many ways our lives and hearts are touched by the life and heart of another. Altruistic joy is not born of great and heroic efforts, but of learning moment to moment to incline our hearts towards empathy, gladness, appreciation, and wakefulness. Mudita, the heart that celebrates. May the efforts of our practice come to know and understand the resting place of joy. May the small moments of appreciation, the small moments of gladness, the small moments of contentment emanate out to the north, to the south, to the east and the west, above and below, such that all beings come to know the freedom and ease of authentic self-expression. <laughs> 